Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, God is good, is He not? He's good all the time. And we're so happy to welcome Pastor Tim and Misty to our church family. You be praying for them. Uh, They have to find a house. Uh, They just, uh, uh, Isaiah, you know, has some issues and they just have uh, outfitted him with a power chair. And so they're going to need to get, you know, a place that uh, has ramps and all these kinds of things. But you be praying for them that God would bless them. And uh, remember... Uh, so many of you, and I want to thank so many of you for praying uh, for this process. It began way back in January. We kept praying that God would lead us to the right person at the right time with the right message for the right people. And it's been a long process, and God has answered prayer. God has brought to us an outstanding young pastor. Uh, what impresses me the most about Tim is his integrity. Uh, he's desired to finish very strong there at his church in Shawnee uh, and uh, tells us an awful lot about who he is at the core of his being. Uh, He's a man of God that walks with Jesus and you're going to be blessed and enriched and challenged and encouraged and uh, just keep on praying for them during these next number of days as they look for housing. Uh, He'll start to interact with us on our staff team here in the next couple of weeks And uh, so you keep praying and let's keep on trusting God. But let's just pause for a moment and thank Jesus uh, for sending us God's special servant. Father in heaven, how we love you and thank you and praise you for your gift to us in the person of Tim and Misty Spanberg and their precious family of four. We give you thanks for your guidance and your direction not only in our lives as a church family, but in their lives as well. And so I pray that as we look forward to welcoming them here, that the Holy Spirit will prepare our hearts in unique ways so that we can extend our love and our affirmation and uh, strength to them as they make this journey toward us. And we pray for their family, that you'd keep them safe. We pray especially for Isaiah, that you'd bless him. And thank you again for your faithfulness to them. And Thank you for the ministry that they're leaving and that they have left well and that they have expressed (coughs) uh, and basically modeled such great integrity in this process. We give you praise. Lord, you are great. You're mighty. You're powerful. Liberty is in your hands. Christ's community is in your hands. And we're so grateful that you move your servants from place to place but you always build your church and you strengthen the kingdom and so lord we thank you again for bringing pastor tim to us may we all do our part uh, to partner with him to capture this community with the life of jesus christ in whose name we pray amen another just uh i want to before we jump into the message this morning i want to talk to you about next weekend Uh, Next weekend is probably one of the most important weekends you will ever have uh, here at Liberty Bible Church. Uh, Dr. Luan is an outstanding man of God. Uh, He was in our church in Rockford, 
and uh, it, it basically transformed the way we looked at this whole situation uh, as it relates to uh, human sexuality and the gospel. Uh, and especially next Saturday, next Saturday from 9 to 12.30, all of these seminar sessions are spelled out in a lot of detail. We've done that purposely because most of these seminars are going to answer many of the questions that you have as it relates uh, to heterosexuality, homosexuality, and the whole uh, situation that is confronting our young people on a, a regular basis. This, this issue, uh, he's meeting with the middle school and high school students on Friday evening, but uh, the social media, the pressure that is on our kids today is just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, if you don't realize it, uh, you, you just are missing what's happening. And so this, this next weekend is really, really critical because uh, we're going to learn from the Word of God what God has to say, how God loves all people regardless of their sexual orientation. And we need to understand how we can come alongside and bring the gospel to people that may have a different lifestyle than us, uh, but we still can accept them without approving uh, some of the things that they do. And these are the things that uh, these, these seminars, the, the, the breakout session on Saturday, uh, there's going to be two breakout sessions. It's all going to happen right here in the worship center. I'm expecting a couple hundred people there at least. I mean, it, this, 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 this Saturday session, uh, his parents are going to be meeting with, with parents to help you understand how to communicate with your kids. Uh, this, this next Sunday, his parents will be here, Lord willing. Pray for his father, Leon. He's had a medical uh, emergency that happened this past week. They uh, placed a stent uh, in his heart, uh, and um, they've had some issues, and we've been praying like crazy that they're all going to be able to be here. But pray for Leon, uh, Chris's father, and be praying that God would use them in a mighty way. Uh, the session next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, uh, he's going to take the scripture passages that many times are reinterpreted by those in the gay community so that we can understand what the Word of God has to say. Uh, this, these, this, this next weekend uh, is something you do not want to miss, and I would encourage you to be praying, uh, especially for the Yuans as they come and share their hearts with us. Now, I invite you to take your Bibles. We're to the last a church in this series of seven churches, uh, Revelation chapter 3, beginning uh, at verse 14. I'm going to ask us all to please stand in honor of the Word of God. Uh, the words are up on the screen. You can follow along uh, in your Bibles. Uh, keep your Bibles open, as I have said. This You need to check up on me because I, I'm just going to tell you to speak uh, from the Word of God. This is not something that I've concocted in my mind. This comes right out of the text. So keep your Bibles open. I'll ask you to join me. And in verse 22, we'll read verse 22 together. Beginning at verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And now together, verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. Complacency. The very sound of that word has an unsettling ring about it. Webster's Dictionary describes complacency as smug self-centeredness. Smug self-centeredness. Complacency is a disease that attacks the brain, the very center of our existence as human beings. And just like drugs, like cocaine and marijuana and alcohol can attack the brain and almost imperceptibly eat away at it, robbing a person of their vital strength and a keen mind, so spiritual complacency can eat away at the heart of a person and cause us to become spiritually disillusioned, dis, disillusioned, disenchanted, and ultimately defeated. And just like drugs, complacency gives us a false sense that, hey, everything's going to be okay. We don't have to, we can just kind of coast in the glory. We just, oh my, we just can just kind of sit back and our chair and make it into heaven. Now, complacency, as I think about it, is an attitude that cripples initiative, it stymies innovation, and it ultimately halts any meaningful progress. A complacent person is someone who is satisfied with the status quo. His get-up-and-go has got up and left. His life motto goes something like this. Come weal or come woe, my status is quo. As it was in the beginning, so now it ever shall be. World without end, amen. I'm just going to kind of rock my way and make it into glory. I'm in, and that's all that matters. A complacent person is in a rut. They're in a rut that is deeper than probably they can begin to imagine. They're so self-satisfied with themselves that they, they don't accept any new challenges. They don't have any new goals. They find security in mediocrity and in the predictability of sameness. Complacent persons like the fellow who greeted his minister at the close of the service and said, oh, that was a fine sermon, Pastor. I couldn't find myself in anything that you said. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm good. 
I've got everything I need. There's nothing more for me to learn. I've got it all under my belt. Now, complacency in government, as well as in the business and athletic world, cannot be tolerated. In fact, businessmen and athletes who do not seek to improve usually ends up as half-spins and without a job and without a team. And it's a sad reality that this disease we call complacency often finds itself in churches. Many churches today, as I've referred many times as I've been here, are either dead or declining. Those that are in the process of declining and are dead could probably have this epitaph written over their grave. A case of crippling complacency. A complacent church is composed of complacent members. Oh, they get together on Sunday when they feel like it. They sing the songs and they sing the choruses and they pray. and They go through all the motions. They listen to the message. They leave, but they're unmoved. They're unchanged. Nothing is different about the, their passion for Jesus. They come in and go out without ever being moved. They have nothing that is there that is rekindling their passion and their joy in serving Jesus. They just are content with the status quo. They are just experiencing what I'm going to call spiritual blahs. Now, it's very interesting that the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the lampstands, uh, he's not pleased with a church that is suffering from spiritual blahs, but he does have a prescription that he wants to give to them. It's very interesting as you study a little bit of the history of Laodicea that it was a wealthy and well-to-do city. Uh, it was a large city. Outwardly, it was, uh, the church there was strong and seemingly robust and resourceful, but inwardly, as we're going to soon discover, they were focused upon themselves and this smug self-satisfaction had gotten a hold of them and they were unaware of the danger it posed in their spiritual lives. C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, describes Laodicea this way, quote, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, unquote. Laodicea is a proud city. It was a very influential city. It was uh, founded by Antiochus II in the middle of the 3rd century B.C. It's named after Laodice, uh, the wife of Antiochus, and it was situated some 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It prided itself on being a manufacturing city. In fact, they were known the world over for the manufacture of, of, of woolen, woolen garments. I mean, this, this was a place that was a manufacturing center, uh, and they produced wool, and it was sent all over the place. They were a manufacturing center. They were also a banking center. Uh, Cicero cashed his huge bank drafts there, and so well off were the Laodiceans that when the earthquake happened in A.D. 60, they were able to rebuild their city without any 
uh, outside financial help. They, they had more money than they knew what to do with it. It was a banking city. It was a manufacturing city. Uh, it was also a great medical center. Uh, the medical school that was connected to the uh, Temple of Aesculapius, the god of healing, is located there, and they specialized in this Pergian powder for the cure of eye inflammations. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. This 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 medical breakthrough, they had this salve. Uh, those in the ancient world, they would have eye problems, and they would seek out this this wonderful remedy that this salve that came from Laodicea that they could put on a person's eyes so that the eyes would not be inflamed. They were economically self-sufficient. They had everything they could ever need, and so as a church, they had been lulled to a self-centered, self-satisfied, and self-sufficient way of life. Now, before we take a look at what the Lord of the Lampstands has to say to this uh, a church that uh, seemingly had no needs and yet was unaware of how complacency had dulled its spiritual vitality. Uh, we, we have these descriptions of the consultant. And sometime take your Bible and write down every one of the qualifications of the consultant. We've talked about each one of them every time we've been into this passage. Uh, these passages but here he is described notice first of all that Christ is the amen and that word amen means indeed verily or so be it in other words when we finish up our prayers and we say amen we are saying so be it Lord you do it now I've given it to you amen it's in your hands it speaks of the fact that God is sovereign that He is the final word on anything that he speaks and that his promises are yea and amen. Notice the Bible speaks about this in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ and through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In other words, Christ's words are reliable. Everything that he says, he is the sovereign Lord of the universe. His promises are as good as gold. He is the amen. Number two, he is also described as the faithful and true witness in verse 14. And this is the first time that faithful and true as characteristics of the Lord of the lampstand are brought together. In Revelation 1.5, he's introduced as the faithful witness. And in Revelation 3.7, he is described as the true witness. Now, he is faithful and true. These two wonderful qualities come together. He is absolutely accurate in his understanding of what the problem is. He's also very faithful in his counsel to the church and how he sums up what they need to do to improve. His valuation is trustworthy and truthful. And then number three, he is the ruler of God's creation. You could translate it this way. He is the source or the origin of God's creation. In other words, Jesus Christ is not a created being. He is before all creation. Before creation, Jesus was. He was part of the triune God. From eternity past to eternity future, he always was, he always will be. 
You may want to flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Keep your finger there in Revelation 3, but uh, you see this very specifically in Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he's created. It means he, was existed, he existed before creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Notice, he's before all things. So Jesus is not only the final word, he's not only faithful and true, but he is the one who is the creating God. He is the one that uh, created this incredible world that we have and he has a unique perspective that he wants to give, but he wants, to un- he wants the church to understand again who he is. The words of Jesus are to be taken very seriously. This is not uh, the words of some kind of a human consultant. This is the word of the Lord of the Lampstands. Now, as we get into the passage, we see, first of all, that he censures the church. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Here is a church that is suffering from a severe case of self-satisfaction and complacency. It's interesting that this is one of the harshest rebukes that the Lord gives to any of the seven churches. It's interesting because Laodicea is not suffering from outright idolatry and immorality as were the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira. It had not allowed uh, doctrine, unchecked doctrine, make-believe Christianity to go unchecked in its ranks as had Sardis. It doesn't abandon its first love as did the church at Ephesus. But the Lord says, in spite of the fact that you don't have some of the the problems some of these other churches do, there are two things that have contributed to your complacency. And he spells them out very specifically. First of all, they have the problem of indifference. Look at verse 15. You're neither cold nor hot. They're half-hearted. They're half-hearted believers. Their Christianity really hasn't gotten a hold of them and grabbed them and got them really excited. They're just, they're just kind of partway in. They just kind of, they just a little bit. They're not all in. They're, they're half-hearted. They're just, they're not living a, a vibrant life for Jesus. And notice what the Lord's desire is for them. He says, I would, oh my people, I would. I, I, I just am wishing that you'd make up your minds. But all I thought, you're, you're not hot, you're not cold. Oh, would to God that, that you would come to a place where you would really be sold out for me. That's what he's talking about in this passage. Oh, that you'd get to that place in your life where you're all in for me. his desire for the church. Obviously, there were those in the church who were just in it, maybe for the wrong reasons, or they maybe were just kind of pretending to be sincere Christ followers. 
Now, there are others that were really, really hot. I mean, they were really uh, doing everything they possibly could to reach their neighbors and friends for Jesus. They were growing in the things of God. Christ wants the whole body. He doesn't want part of the body to be hot and part of the body to be cold. He says, would to God you guys would come to that place where you're all in. That's what he wants. He, he says, I want you to be all in for Jesus. Now, a person who's cold toward the gospel can be reached. I think of the Apostle Paul, for example. Remember, before he came to faith in Christ, he was a persecutor of the church. He did everything he could to harass the people of God. But once he met the resurrected Lord on that Damascus road, he was, boy, he was changed. He became a firebrand for Jesus. He wasn't half-hearted. I don't see anything in the New Testament about the Apostle Paul after coming to faith in Christ being kind of smugly self-satisfied. Oh, I'm, I'm in. Now I'm just going to take an easy chair. I'm going to relax. No, no. Paul was, man, after he had come to faith in Jesus Christ, there was a man that was on a mission. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I want us here in Laodicea, I want us to get back on mission. Some of the hardest people that you will ever be able to reach are people that haven't made up their mind. I mean, one day they're firebrands for Jesus, the next day, oh, oh, I don't know if I can do this. On and off, on and off that lukewarm kind of a churchianity. And Jesus says to them, would to God you guys would make up your minds. Now, notice, because of this lukewarm spiritual condition, Christ is nauseated with the church. Verse 16, take a look at it. He says... So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty strong statement. And it hits the Laodiceans right where they are at. Historically, in spite of their self-centeredness, they had a water problem in Laodicea. They had no direct access to cold water from the mountains or hot water from the springs in Heriopolis. All the water had to be piped into Laodicea via a aqueduct. And by the time the cold water got to Laodicea, instead of it being nice and cold and refreshing, it was not very cold. And the hot water that came in on the viaduct, by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot. It was just very tepid. And so Jesus speaks to this directly, and he is simply saying this to these lukewarm Christians. He says, you know what tepid water tastes like, but he said, you are tepid in your relationship to me. You haven't really declared your colors. You're, you're neither hot nor cold. Have you ever been on a trip 
maybe you go through the desert on your way to California or if you've ever made that kind of a trip and you're, you're in your car for hours and hours and hours and you, you get really thirsty. And you look for a gas station that, that hopefully has a nice water fountain. And you finally spot one. And you drive to the gas station. You run to that, 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 that water fountain. And you, and, and you take a great big gulp of this water because you were so thirsty. And it's this tepid mineral water. And what do you do? You don't swallow it. You do what? You... Yeah. <laughs> so, so Jesus says, he says, he says, this kind of half-hearted living, it so nauseates me that I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now that word spit is a very interesting word. It literally means to throw up. It means to vomit. He is saying to this church, your half-hearted living is causing me to puke. That's what the word means. It's very graphic. This is the Lord of the lampstands. This is the one that purchased the church with his blood. And he looks at the church and he says, this half-hearted living is making me so nauseated, I'm about to puke. And notice what they say, and we'll get into this in just a minute, the church says, I don't need anything. I've got it all together. I don't need anything. And they're, they're totally oblivious to what they really need because they've taken their eyes off Jesus. So, this indifference, it doesn't make the Lord of the lampstands very happy. Number two, not only were they indifferent, but they were ignorant. You see this in verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Put a circle around this. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Not only do they have a problem of indifference, they have a problem of ignorance. They think they are rich, and materially they are. I mean, they have all the gold, they have all the resources that you could ever ask for. But Christ says, you think you're doing fine in your church, but you don't realize that you're spiritually poor. You're wretched and pitiful. They had put great stock in all the resources they had in their banks. But Jesus says you're bankrupt spiritually. They pride themselves on their great medical schools. Jesus says, spiritually, you may be able to help those get some physical healing, but spiritually, you're blind. They pride themselves on their textile factories, making all these wonderful woolen garments. But spiritually, Christ says, you're shamefully naked. You have problems. You say you have need of nothing, but in reality, they need a renewal of devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ. Nominal Christianity that takes on the character of the world is obnoxious to Jesus. It's easier to work with a person who makes no confession of faith 
than to work with individuals that have a foot half in and half out as it relates to Jesus. They're some of the most difficult people you'll ever run into. One minute, man, they're hot for Jesus. The next minute, oh my, it's too much. I can't do this. Well, yeah, none of us can. And that's why it's so important that as Jesus evaluates the church, he helps them to understand that where they think they are and where they actually are are two different places. They think they've got it all together. But he reminds them that they are ignorant and they are suffering from indifference. Would to God, he says, that you would make up your mind. Now, he counsels the church after he censures them. And in verse 18, notice he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. First of all, he challenges them to authentic faith. He says, buy from me gold refined in fire. He's not saying that we can purchase our salvation. Our salvation was purchased for us at the cross. But he is using terms that the Laodiceans will be familiar with, and he is saying, instead of getting your supplies from the world, he says, I want you to to have a vibrant faith that has been refined as gold so that your faith is hot. You have an authentic faith. Think of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and following. He says, So that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In spite of, instead of material gold, the Laodiceans are encouraged to sharpen their faith, to have an authentic faith, to exercise their faith, something that money cannot buy. You can't purchase faith. You can only express it and extend it and grow it as you stay close to the vine, Jesus Christ, who is the source of our faith. And then number two, he challenges them to internal righteousness. He says, buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now, white clothes are symbolic of righteousness. They were known for these incredible woolen factories that would manufacture beautiful outward garments. And he's saying, I don't want you to focus on the externals. He says, the way to get out of complacency is to clothe yourself with the beauty of Jesus. And the beauty of Jesus is the righteousness of Christ that was purchased for us when Jesus died on the cross for us. And he said, stop concentrating on the externals. Stop concentrating on what uh, these outer garments. Rather, he is saying, clothe yourselves with the righteousness and the purity of Jesus. And then number three, he challenges them to fresh vision. He says, buy from me salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Again, he takes something that they are very accustomed to, this wonderful medical community that discovered this incredible salve to to anoint the eyes. 
And he says, you, you can't see things spiritually because you're blind spiritually. And he said, I want you to take that salve and anoint your eyes so you can have a fresh vision of what you can become when Jesus is first in every dimension of your life. I want you to put salve on those eyes so that you can have a, a fresh view of what God wants you to accomplish for his glory. And so he says to the church, yeah, you, you've got this smug self-centeredness going, but I want you to replace that with a vibrant faith, with internal righteousness, and with a fresh vision of what God's called you to accomplish. And then lastly, he chastens the church. Now, it's very interesting to me. Look at the text. He says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Mark this down. Even though Laodicea is a lukewarm, complacent, smug, self-satisfied church, the Lord of the lampstands loves them. Aren't you glad God loves us? He loves us when we aren't returning his love. He loves us regardless of our spiritual state. He loves us. And notice he says, those whom I love, I, what? I discipline. Not because I want to do them harm, but because I want to bring them back into spiritual victory and spiritual health. It's very interesting that Jesus uses these words because, again, it's very reminiscent of what the writer to the Hebrews says over in Hebrews. You might want to flip to this. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5, uh, where we have these words. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And here it is again. For the Lord disciplines the one he... Let's say it together. He loves. He disciplines those he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. Then down at verse 10, he's talking about uh, our physical dads, our physical fathers. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that is Christ, disciplines us for our good. Notice, notice the text, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So he preferences his discipline by saying, I, I love you. I love you so much. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't discipline you. He cares so much for this lukewarm, self-sufficient church, and he reminds them that Everything he's about to say, he says because he loves them so deeply. And he gives them two imperatives. First of all, notice in verse 19, he commends them to continue on being zealous. To be zealous, to, to burn with zeal or to be boiling hot. He wants this church that has been lukewarm and tepid in its relationship to him. He says, I want you to be zealous. I want you to be boiling hot. I want you to be a hundred percenter for Jesus. 99.9% doesn't cut it anymore. Oh, you say, I thought 99% is pretty good. I'm, I'm in 99%. That's probably pretty good. Well, there was a, a 
quality control specialist by the name of Jeff DeWare, who worked for Teamworks Incorporated, and he asked his company this question. Is it truly necessary to go for zero defects? Why isn't 99.9% enough? Man, that's almost 100%. That's almost 100%. Why isn't 99.9% enough? Well, he said this would be the result. If we accept 99.9%, one hour of unsafe drinking water a month, two unsafe plane landings per day at O'Hare Airport, 16 pieces of mail lost by the U.S. Postal Office every hour, 20,000 incorrect drug, drug prescriptions per year, 500 incorrect surgical operations each week, 50 newborns dropped at birth by doctors, 22,000 checks deducted from wrong bank accounts each hour, and 32,000 missed heartbeats per person per year. Suddenly, 99% doesn't cut it. We need to be 100%. And what the Lord of the Lampstands is saying to this church, I want you to be all in. I want you to be zealous, on fire for Jesus. That's what he's looking for. And then notice the second imperative. He says, I want you to repent. Again, this is a very strong directive. Repent without delay. He doesn't say, I want you to feel sorry for the fact that you've been kind of limping through life in a haphazard way. I want you to stop it. That's what repentance is. Repentance means boink. We stop and we move into a different direction. He says, I want you to repent. I want you to get over yourself, get over all this half-hearted living. And he says, I want you to be zealous. I want you to be hundred percenters. For King Jesus. That's the way to fight off complacency. And what's the result? Notice verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him <clears throat> and he with me. Now, listen to me carefully. Most of us, most of our lives, we've only understood that verse in relationship to salvation. If we will open our heart's door to Jesus, he will come in. But I want you to note the context in which that verse is written. Very interesting that this complacent, lukewarm church Christ isn't even in that church. Look at the text. He's on the outside of that church. He's on the outside knocking. I want to come into this church. I want to come in. I want to change your life. I want you to be 100 percenters. He's, he, he's not in that church. He longs to be in the church. But they become so complacent he hasn't even felt welcomed. 
And so he pleads with this church that is so self-centered, open the door. <laughs> Welcome me back in. I want to help you to be a hundred percenter for Jesus. I want to restore your passion. I want you to get all in for me. And if that happens, notice he says, I love this. He says, we will identify with him throughout all the ages of eternity. Look at this. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is saying, we get rid of all this smugness and lukewarmness and tepid Christianity and we're all in for him. We're going to sit down with him on his throne as he has sat down because he conquered and he's seated at the right hand of God. What's he doing right now? He's making intercession for us. You can do it. You can do it. You don't have to be self-centered. You can. He is shouting us on. And he is saying, you will dwell and you will remain with me forever and ever. As I conquered the world, the flesh, the devil, so you too conquer as you make a personal commitment to be 100% for the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a young man <clears throat> who went to a Christian college. That Christian college was Wheaton College. And he studied there. And during that time, He did business with Jesus. And he came to a point in his life where he said, okay, God, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to give you my life. This young man, along with his buddies, went to an unreached people's group, the Alka Indians. He was martyred because of his faith. But way back before all that happened, in that dorm room at Wheaton College, he penned these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. My friend, the secret of beating complacency is being all in for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for oftentimes keeping you on the outside of our church, outside of our lives. Oh, you long to come in. You long to transform churches. You long to transform people. Your desire is that we not limp through life in tepid commitment to you, but you want us to be all in 100 percenters for Jesus. Lord, that may, may that be true. May that especially be true of liberty as we welcome a new pastor. He's all in for you. And I pray that we as the body will be all in for King Jesus 
to transform this community for the glory of God, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net. 